A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast featuring me, Mike Calvin, Miguel Delaney of The Independent and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. Football never stands still. Teams fade, heroes falter. This has been the era of Messi and Ronaldo. Are we entering a new phase in which Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland compete for the title of the world's best footballer? You have to think so. They play on consecutive nights in the Champions League this week. Migs, which of the two are you most looking forward to watching? Mbappe. It's been like that for a while, I have to say. I just think the way... I mean, first of all, the way a pitch seems to open up when he when he starts accelerating is something like... A, and, and specifically the way he runs, the aesthetic style to it, it's, it's exhilarating. But I also think there's a real purity to his football and he's becoming almost as much a playmaker as a finisher, which is, a, which is a sort of development that Ronaldo and Messi had 15 years ago. Uh, I don't want to be belittle Haaland and saying all that. Like, I, I was at um, I was at the British Dortmund home game last year. In fact, it was one of the, the last European trips I went on before the pandemic when they beat Paris Saint-Germain 2-1. And he scored that goal that you would associate with Haaland more. Or you, would think, you would think of it almost as pure Haaland, which is just, you know, making a 30, 40-yard run and absolutely smashing the ball into the top corner. But he doesn't get so many goals like that, really. And so many of his goals are actually classic strikers finishes and kind of runs off the back and I just think there's just, just as brilliant as he is there's more spectacle to Mbappe and I just like him more as a player yeah do you think are we looking at you, know, you mentioned speed there Migs it's interesting I you do some research Mbappe's top speed is 38 kph compared actually to 36 by Haaland I love Haaland's goal scoring instincts what do you think is more valuable? <laughs> well, they're both quick enough, first and foremost. I always think you're only ever as good, a team is only ever as good as its striker or its goal scorer. So, so you put Haaland in any team and, and they will, they will cause problems because he's just got that knack. He knows exactly where to be, doesn't he? Inside the danger zone, the runs he makes are incredibly mature for for a 20 year old I agree with Migs I think Mbappe is 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 the man with more flair more flamboyance and a lot of Mbappe's best work is often done out wide or or a long long way away from the goal whereas Haaland is the man isn't he inside inside the penalty area so look, both both could play together and that would be a very frightening prospect but um yeah, I think I think aesthetically, I, I absolutely would be more excited to watch Kylian Mbappe than than Haaland. But in terms of value to the team, 
Haaland, is, look, he scores a goal a game. And if you can score a goal a game in, in the Bundesliga when you're 20, the world is your oyster, let me tell you. And, and, and I think he will maintain a, a ridiculously high goal-scoring record you know, for the, for the next decade, potentially. Mm. Is it all about the credibility of the platform, Migs? You know, okay, if we if we played the the usual football game, show us your medals, <laughs> Mbappe four league earned titles and a World Cup, Haaland two Austrian Bundesliga titles. With Mbappe, does he need to move out of France to actually almost complete the set? Uh, traditionally, you would have said yes, or sorry, basically at almost any point in football history over the past 40, 50 years, maybe bar a brief spell in the 90s. But uh, like we are getting to the point where Paris Saint-Germain are probably one of the few clubs that are going to afford his wages or, and and his fee. I mean, it's often been said that the, the uh, his dream is to go to one of the Spanish giants, specifically Real Madrid, because of his, um, you know, his admiration for Ronaldo. But I mean, given the stories of the last week, and what's been going on the two clubs over the past few months with the pandemic, you'd struggle to see how Madrid would actually be able to afford that. So I think it's what's interesting with Mbappe and Haaland actually is that it's not just a different era in terms of the best players in the world, which they're creating. It's also a different era in terms of maybe the way we view the top clubs and the top leagues, given it's almost now about playing for the super clubs rather than playing in any specific league. And also, from that perspective, you know, PSG will surely... I mean, th- th- this is the asset they should be prizing above Neymar. And even if you look, say, from the Man City perspective or, or any team like that, Mbappe is the sort of, be, sort of player they should be going for now rather than someone like Messi because of the age and because of the future and the pe- potential. So I, I, I do think the parameters have changed a little bit. And let's not forget as well Mbappe, to be fair. I mean, you, th- you see those four titles and you immediately think they've all come at PSG but, and they've all been gimmies. But of course, his first was at Monaco, which was a real achievement given to kind of to beat PSG in this era has been uh, is something so rarely done and it's such a kind of an act of defiance in itself. Yeah, each of each of the pair scored twice at the weekend. Uh, Haaland got those two early goals against Bayern, who obviously went on to win 4-2. Mbappe scored his goals in a 3-0 win at uh, Brest in the French Cup. Are we destined for almost an annual duel between them for the Golden Boot, Ballon d'Or. And actually, while we're on that subject, why on earth hasn't Lewandowski won that? (laughs) It was an outrage, wasn't it, (laughs) that they called off Ballon d'Or? I mean, how unlucky do you have to be? I mean, Lewandowski would would have won that, surely, even if, you know, politics might have made it more difficult for him to win it. He he was certainly the, the deserving... World Player of the Year, no question about that. So, but yeah, these these two these two feel like the the most valuable players, don't they? In the in the in the world right now, twenty and twenty two, absolutely ripping it up. Not just week in week out, of course, but but also in the Champions League. Kylian Mbappe's performance against Barcelona was was right up there with the the best individual displays I've seen in the competition for a long, long time. He yeah, absolutely destroyed them single-handedly and, and Haaland keeps making a habit of it. I mean, he pretty much did the same to Sevilla, didn't he? So I, I don't think they need to move to to the world's so-called best leagues to prove anything. I think they'll both be absolute superstars in the Premier League. If, if they both came here, 
they'd both be in the top three easily, wouldn't they? In terms of in terms of of, of players and 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 commodities. In answer to your question, yeah, I, I can see them sharing it out over the years, a little bit like Messi and Ronaldo. But look, hopefully. Hopefully there'll be some other protagonists coming in, coming into play. That these are twenty twenty two. Like I said, we've got we've got some pretty tidy players in this country that that have scope for for development. So I think it's really exciting. That there was a part of me that was worried, Mike, about post Messi Ronaldo. Would we would we have the players that that, that were special enough to sort of um, get us off our seats? And and I think these two guys are, are very special. Well, just just on, on the point Adrian's made there, is it like I mean, there's been certainly there's been no succession plan, or so sorry, no succession problem, like say in tennis, where with the big four waning, there's uh, there's not the same level of 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 competitor coming in, whereas in this, it's almost immediately as exciting again. Yeah, but do you do you feel you know, modern football is increasingly onerous uh, in terms of you know physical terms, but also you know the mental demands of celebrity given all that do you think their careers will match those of Ronaldo and Messi for longevity so that's a really interesting question because having talked spoken to a few people around Haaland and about the future and all that I was told that it's why he doesn't want to come to England or sorry more so he'd prefer not to come to England in the next for his next move and for the next three or four years because they see the Premier League as the most physically taxing, there's such a kind of intensity to it, you know, the, the weekly grind. And given his brother suffered a few uh, injuries, having been a promising footballer himself, and that uh, Haaland himself can be susceptible to a few muscle injuries, they they, they think, he should, given the way he plays and given the player he is, he should be someone who can be absolutely top class into his mid-30s. And that's why they think a move to Spain would probably be better for the moment. So th- this is something they're very conscious of. That they, they certainly, I mean, it's it's Mbappe who sees Ronaldo maybe as his island that way. But in terms of just the kind of the the physical maintenance of the player, uh, it is already shades of, of Ronaldo with Haaland. Oh, definitely. He's, he's a bigger guy though, isn't he? And, and, and slightly heavier, yeah. I'd suggest. So that put a bit of strain on his on his body over the course of the years compared to compared to Mbappe, who's obviously slighter, but. But you're right. There's very he is like Ronaldo, Haaland, and and I think this comparison is a little bit in if you were to compare it to Premier League players, sort of Alan. It's what you prefer, Alan Shearer, which is Haaland, you know, the powerful goal scorer that's just an absolute net buster, and and or, or Thierry Henry, who, who probably won't score quite as many goals, but will offer you know moments of absolute genius along the way. So yeah, I mean, we're very lucky to have these two succeeding. Messi and Ronaldo. Mm. Do you think Messi and Ronaldo are ready to hand over their their crown? You know, are we at the moment seeing maybe as as early as this week the last hurrah of the Galactico generation? I, I mean, I think their mentality, probably on their other competitive means, they're not ready to give it up, and you almost see that in some performances. And Messi, for his part, is still scoring what he's still scoring a goal a game for Barca. And let's not rule out the possibility that he could he could drive Barca to what seemed an improbable title at three points behind Atletico, who have maybe have a bit of a wobble in them. They've already kind of started to stutter a bit. But so I don't. It's not maybe that they're ready to give it up. It's just whether they're they're still quite capable of the same level. And it is. I mean, I was thinking about this after the first leg and like that that Mbappe performance. 
I mean, I've I've always been a massive Messi fan. I mean, he's the best player I've ever seen, certainly. But and I I, I couldn't believe I was saying this, given how much I've admired him. But if it came down to it now, who I'd rather buy, or who would rather want my team, Mbappe or Messi? It feels like Mbappe is going to hurt the opposition more, and in more ways, which is kind of what this comes down to. But I suppose as regards the Ballon d'Or and giving up, giving it up, it's probably going to come down to the biggest prizes again, and who wins the Champions League. Yeah, the whole the situation at Barcelona has, has sort of ratcheted up another level of intrigue and chaos. You've got a new president in there overnight. I suppose people are looking to see whether Messi will anoint him uh, or move on. One logical step would be Manchester City, and then subsequently MSL, and you know play a role in in that whole global network that they've got. You know to amplify Miggs's scepticism if if you like uh, aid would you sign Lionel Messi for Manchester City <laughs> oh look it, <laughs> is he going to provide the same kind of value for money as a, as a as a guy like Mbappe or Haaland no it's it's a simple answer the the business head says you've got to sign one of these younger guys instead, really, for for the wages, because Lionel Messi won't won't come for a big a big drop in wages, would he? I, I I couldn't see I couldn't see that happening. It's yeah, it's it's a real quandary, I think, for for Manchester City. Who do they spend their money on? Do they do they go for what would be the headline signing of all headline signings and 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 get Messi even for for, for one or two years where. I'm sure he'd be absolutely brilliant, but that would be your lot. Or do you invest in in a Haaland who would score you just as many goals, but but retain an incredible, you know, his value would potentially soar, you know, off the back of it. So it's yeah, I would be signing a player like Haaland or Mbappe if if they could afford him. But I'm led to believe that City aren't willing to to spend crazy money on Mbappe's wages. I think Messi might be stuck at Barca, I really do. It might be a case of, of them bringing someone like Sergio Aguero. Uh, there's been talk of that, hasn't there, with your, your own Laporta. Obviously, they're, they're great buddies, and, and that might be the best way for for Messi to to sort of round up his, his career with Barca to play alongside one of his good good chums in a, in a new era. But but Barcelona, unfortunately, are, are skint, aren't they? And, he is a big, a big old burden to them. Is Laporta going to basically sanction him to leave? You, you can't see it, but that would be the financial savvy move, wouldn't it? Just to free up cash to to regenerate the team and, and the squad as a whole. It's, it's some big, big decisions for the new Barcelona hierarchy. But I just can't see him coming in and saying, "Right, cheerio, Lionel." It's, it is interesting. You know, you are a. Uh, a student of of the politics of, of Spanish football, Migs, with Laporta, he wants to raise around about two hundred million euros from private equity. Is the Barca ownership model, which is central to its ethos, is that model under threat? I don't think it's under threat because of the, I suppose, just the amount of moral stock put into it by the fans. It would be absolute sacrilege if we're ever to change in any way but I think we'll increasingly see attempts to kind of get around it in this way I mean it is 
I mean, it's, obviously, the, the whole socio model, it's not without its problems, given some of the issues we've seen at both Madrid and particularly Barca over the, well, over the past few decades, let alone the past few years, which has always had a crisis. You know, you're somewhat dependent on the presidential team that's voted in. But in saying that, the principle of it is probably the best you can get in the modern game. I think it's something that all clubs would, certainly the supporters of all clubs would and should like to aspire to because it ultimately means it's their club. But it's, it, it is proving a, re, a real stress point in what is a huge change in the game. It's something we've spoken about a lot on this pod, but ultimately it could well be one reason why for, for the first time in, in maybe history, Barca and Madrid can can don't have the potential to be top clubs simply because they can't raise the sort of money to compete with Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City and United and Chelsea to the same degree. And I mean, we've talked again, it's something we've talked about this a lot in the pub. It's, it's one of the reasons the Neymar transfer was so influential because it, it started to set that. It, it changed the landscape. And I, you know, would it, I, I've said this on the, on the pod a few times, one of, one of the motivations behind that transfer was to to drive up fees and wages so that these clubs couldn't compete. But as someone put it to me as well, it wasn't just about that. There was also the belief that some clubs could go bankrupt and trying to catch up. And that's kind of what's happening. As you say with Laporta, this is his attempt to get around that. And it's it's really interesting in terms of the uh, the tectonics of football uh, and and what next. And it, it's why, I mean, Laporta's appointment was actually a bit of, a, I suppose, a juncture in Barca's history the first time for all the problems I mean that shouldn't be forgotten in all the euphoria about his his uh, his election again. It didn't exactly end rosily the first time, but there it has a possibility to be a, land, a, a landmark moment again. Yeah, on the on the field aid, do you see any way back for Barca in Paris? I wouldn't ever write them off. I, I don't think you can, and not 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 when you've got got Messi in your team. And but but you looked at that first leg, and it looked like. PSG, PSG with the modern team, Barcelona were were a team that that, that were aging, and and they couldn't handle they couldn't handle the the, the pace, the the energy, the vibrancy of Mbappe and and some of the other PSG players as well. They they, they looked tired in that game, didn't they? But but I don't think you can ever write them off. Obviously, they've come back from from big big deficits in the past against against this particular opponent as well so 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 they've all they've always got a chance Barcelona but but yeah anyone that saw that first leg would say that that PSG have, uh, are into the quarterfinals but but yeah it's it's going to be very very interesting if Barcelona score first that is for sure because then then we'll see about the nerve of PSG and whether and, and how how much they've improved mentally or not you know, will they go back into their shell? Will they start to 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 have that slight inferiority complex again, or or will they say no? This is our time. We've got the best player around now in in Mbappe with with others to to support him, and and even if they do go one behind, we'll we'll kick on and and come back. I I would like to see that happen, but I don't fully trust PSG yet. So the point about comebacks, I think, is really fascinating because obviously, almost set by that game in in February, sorry, in March. In fact, I think actually today is the anniversary of it the four-year anniversary of the 6-1. That set a kind of a, a new mindset and era in Champions League football where for the past few seasons, it's been dominated by these incredibly dramatic comebacks that had never before seemed possible. And it's almost like there was that kind of element of uh, psychological influence about it, whereas once one club did it, 
everyone felt it was on. And of course, Barca have suffered themselves. But I do wonder as well whether just without crowds and without just the very nature of the football moment, whether we'll see a little bit of a reset in that regard. Like it, it, this, week, this week is going to be fascinating because there's been so like just the nature of the ties and there's, there's a requirement for comebacks to have any sort of drama, whether we see the same sort of thing or whether maybe one, one effect of the, of the pandemic as well will be to kind of uh, flatten that out a little bit. They've also got Ronald Koeman, of course, in, in the technical area. And I just don't know. I don't know if Ronald Koeman is, is dynamic enough, whether he's got that, that sort of element of, uh, of magic in his managerial makeup to to inspire a comeback of, of, of that magnitude. I don't know. I, I just I just feel he's such a mediocre coach to be to be in charge of, of that group of players. Yeah, I, I think it would be remarkable if they did. It'd be interesting, isn't it? What you need is a, is a usually get on what you usually get is a, is a single player seizing the moment. And there's no one probably better at that than Ronaldo. Juve are trailing Porto 2-1 before their home leg. Do... You expect a reminder of how good he is and how inspirational he can be. I mean, it would be precisely the sort of stage where he steps up, especially given the context of uh, Juventus' season and and some criticism for Ronaldo. But he's still scoring goals at his usual rate. But one of the problems with the team is that they have to change so much to service him now that's to the detriment of the overall team. So there's an interesting dilemma there. So, I mean, now is the perfect sort of time where he would justify himself in the competition that he loves above any other and has more trophies of in the modern era. But I don't know, I'm a bit, I'm just, a, I don't really have faith in this Juventus in the way even you have faith in previous Juventus sides of the 90s or even the one from, the the, uh, the Allegri one from 2015 to 2017. And I was quite impressed with Porto for most of that game, the first leg. I think I think Porto are going to go through. Been an interesting one. Looking at, looking at the Bundesliga and, and the, the strength of it, Aid. Dortmund, they're outside the top four at the moment. They've got a 3-2 first leg lead. You would imagine that Haaland would score again against Sevilla. Much closer to home, Liverpool. Red Bull Leipzig, who are 2-0 down. With Liverpool in the form or the in, in, in free fall, how low can they go? Well, they're... They're at the lowest ebb I can remember since Jurgen Klopp joined them. They're, they're broken, aren't they, currently? It's not to say that Klopp can't fix them, but, but they're in a, a state of real, real disrepair at the moment. I think mentally, they're exhausted, Liverpool, at the moment. I just don't know if they've got that, that collective will to 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 kick on and, and save the season really I mean that th- they might scrape through against RB Leipzig here obviously they got the 2-0 lead but but the form book tells you that that they will be that they will labor again at Anfield they 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 just can't they just can't function at the moment can they and 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 they're very married of course to the to the system which does expose the weakened defence, the high, the, the high line is is being targeted by every single opponent that they come up against. And the truth is that 
that Salah, Mane and, and Firmino and, and the midfield behind are just not pressing with the same energy or intensity as they were. Physically, mentally, whatever it is, they're just unable to do it. And it just makes Liverpool so much more susceptible than, than they were. And, and, and Nagelsmann and Leipzig will, will come with a game plan and real confidence, I think, that they can overturn that deficit. So it's going to be a fascinating game because... Because Liverpool are on their knees, but they have that advantage. And and if Leipzig score first, then you do fear that it could sink even lower and that Leipzig could, could potentially win this one 3-0. And then you have to say, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with Klopp? I'm not saying that Liverpool should get rid of Jurgen Klopp, but but there comes a point, doesn't there, where where you have to ask questions about his relationship with the team and an ability to to turn it around, certainly in time for next season. So look, can it get lower? Yes, it can. <laughs> a, a defeat to Leipzig and, and an elimination will, will will make this into an unbelievable crisis. Yeah, well, Leipzig won 3-0 at Freiburg on Saturday. They're only two points behind Bayern in the Bundesliga. Did Klopp's team selection, Migs, suggest to you that he, he he puts the Champions League now above everything else. He made seven changes for that game against Fulham, which I think was the first time in about five seasons. They've got to progress, haven't they? Otherwise, the Armageddon that uh, Adrian was hinting at there will arrive. Well, well, this is it. And I, when that team came out, someone in football texted me almost and basically said, they're asking for trouble there just because of the nature of it. And I, to pick up on Adrian's point... I mean, it's not like this is completely unprecedented. Maybe not for Liverpool, but more, I suppose for Klopp and in the Premier League as regards champions. And that, in terms of the performance, so much reminds me of Chelsea twenty fifteen sixteen. Yeah. And and the Mourinho the Mourinho season as Antonio Conte called it. And I, I mean, because even with the match, it, it's not like Liverpool were actually dreadful in overall play. They had control, but it was kind of this unconvincing control where this almost anxiety prevented them pressing through and making a breakthrough and they looked susceptible to disaster at the back at any given moment so it's, it's basically as if so many games can, can go either way and if they can see that first goal it's almost like they're mentally done in that given match which is why which could be so fascinating as regards the Champions League this week but on the flip side I do wonder whether to, to, to draw, draw from another season in the past this could genuinely be a Liverpool 0-4-0-5 and it could be the nature of the Champions League this season. Again, we, we spoke about this in the in the build up to the or in the preview show for the Champions League. But whether it, just the, with the way European football is now in the pandemic and the effective schedule, could it be one of those Champions League seasons that actually benefits teams that are out of a title race or just not going so well, where they store up more for Europe? We, we saw that so much in the first seven years of the expanded Champions League. I think I think there was actually more teams that won it from outside their their own top two than champions or second place teams because Madrid finished fifth, Milan finished third, Liverpool finished fifth. And it's possible we could see similar again. You know, the, that that precedent of teams suddenly, teams that have been in dreadful form raising themselves to the Champions League, it has been there. And I mean, because we do, whatever about their wider problems, this Liverpool eleven, even without Van Dijk, is still good enough on any given night to put in a brilliant performance. In fact, even this season, as bad as it's been, and even in this run, 
they've put in some really tough displays. Say the three one away to Spurs as recently as January, or of course the the seven nil against Paris or against Palace that precipitated this run. Uh, so it's in them, yeah. And I I think you're right. I think there there is increasingly going to be a case of um, Klopp saving resources for the Champions League. Yeah, he argues and he probably would do so, that not making the top four this season won't inflict long-term damage. I don't agree with that. He also talks, Aid, about not wanting players who don't want to be there. When a manager speaks like that, I, I always assume that there's going to be a turnover of players in the summer. Do you think there will be a turnover in this squad? I think I think there has to be. Yeah. I, I think I think I, I get I completely understand where Meeks is coming from on on the on the Champions League. I, I just just don't know if they're, they're defensively strong enough. I just don't I, I think to win the Champions League you, you need to be more solid. But but yeah, there'd be some story if they did. Um in terms of turnover, yes, I think I think it needs a refresh, doesn't it? I always feel that forward players guys are at their best between probably the ages of 22 and 29, peak 24 to 27, Salah 28, Firmino 29, Mane 28. These guys aren't going to get better. They're not going to be more amazing than they have been in the in the two seasons that, that preceded this one, I'm afraid. It, it's not going to happen. So so they have to make some, some tough choices. They won't get, unfortunately the fees that that maybe they they think they should because of their age because of the, there's no sell on so it is a real problem financially it, it kind of makes sense to keep them but then you look at the team and you look at the body language and you feel that what this team absolutely is crying out for is someone big to come in at the top end of the pitch someone younger more dynamic someone to give the team a new energy. So, yeah, really, really tough decisions lie ahead. Who would you get rid of? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's the, the million-dollar question, isn't it? Goodness me. I, I personally would would certainly move on from Firmino. And, 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 and look, I, I, would, I would keep Salah if his head is right because he's the best finisher. He's the best natural goal scorer. I think they could afford to, to, to sell Mane and Firmino. Providing, of course, that, that they that they brought in players of, of a, at least equal quality. Mm. But if you look at the, you know, read the signs, Migs, you know, an agent tweeting, Salah looks sullen. It does suggest that he's close to the end of his career cycle at Anfield, doesn't it? Yeah, and just to pick up on Adrian's point there, this is something that kind of mooted for a while. That with, with all that three, I, I completely agree the point about the age strikers get to even though we've spent some of this part discussing Messi and Ronaldo and their longevity. Yeah, I think just with, They're a bit different. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's, I think with the pace of the modern game, and especially with forward play, where so much is based on that intensity, the ability to press, and also pure speed, I think you're right. I think the, the age of when players are at their physical peak, and I suppose their competitive peak, is that bit younger now, compared to, say, with most of football history, the, the peak would have been probably 28 Whereas now, for that sort of player, they're arguably on the kind of almost in the wind down. I think Liverpool probably like, this has been it, it isn't exactly a new point, but they probably would have moved one of the three on so they could reinvest and buy someone younger, say perhaps Salah for Sancho. But of course, Salah's dream for a long time has been to go to one of the Spanish two, <laughs> a bit like Mappe in that regard. But would they have the sort of money 
that would make that would test Liverpool. And you know, or, or unless the situation became so tense, they just want to get rid of him. Whatever, it doesn't look like anything like that bad at the moment. But I suppose these are some of the undercurrents to this. But Salah doesn't really have that many options at the moment, which is something else that complicates the whole situation. Yeah, when it, the vibe I'm getting from you two is that it would be absurd to even think of sacking Klopp at the moment. There will inevitably be greater in, attention paid to Steven Gerrard over the next year or so. Rangers, they've won their 55th Scottish title. Is there a need, Aid, to keep the hype under control? <laughs> well, I think it feels nailed on that Steven Gerrard will be the next Liverpool manager. It's just, when would that be? Now, when would Liverpool get peak Gerrard? I think they would get a better Steven Gerrard the longer they leave it. No doubt about that. Let him learn on the job at Rangers and keep winning things north of the border. Incredible the job he's done there in terms of, you know, a, a very average looking squad has been, has bonded brilliantly. He's created a great winning mentality. And the interesting factor, of course, is the style of football. It, 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 there are limitations in terms of what Stephen Gerrard can do with Rangers with, with with the talent that he's got available, so transferring that to to Liverpool would be would be a big challenge. But yeah, look, I don't know. Klopp is certainly not unsackable. We talked about the Jose team; he soon went. Ranieri didn't make it, you know, long beyond the sort of bus parade around Leicester, did he? It's <laughs> it's, it's a football is a ruthless ruthless business, and the better Steven Gerrard does, while concurrently. Klopp crashes, the more likely it feels that they that they might make that choice. Yeah, I think it'd be better to wait, but it all depends on whether Klopp can can regenerate Liverpool. I, th- I think you have to give him the chance, if he wants to, of course. You have to give him the chance to build Liverpool Mark II, don't you? And, uh, and, and, and trust him to do that. But they've got to be more decisive. Liverpool's board have to show more ambition this summer than they did last. They sat on their heels. They they obviously blamed the pandemic, which everyone is entitled to do at, at this period of time. But but they didn't they didn't show that they didn't flex their muscles or strike while they were hot. And that was a big big error on their part, I think. They have to this this summer. They have to have probably the boldest summer they've had um in many, many years at Anfield to to get them back to where they need to be. Well, just just on that, I think because I think that's really that's something that really struck me about yesterday's game as well. Because for so much of the past three years, we've heard so much praise about Michael Edwards and Liverpool's re- recruitment. Now, I don't doubt that, and I don't doubt they're the, the, the kind of they're the, among the best in the business in that regard. But what I think all this does is essentially it proves the kind of the great man theory of management in football, and that ultimately. No matter how good your structure, and I think this is especially true of Liverpool, it's 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 still the manager that's by far the most important part, and the manager who can amplify the structure rather than the structure necessarily amplifying the manager. And mm-hmm. I suppose that's going to be all the more true when uh, it's it's someone of historical brilliance like a Klopp or like a Guardiola. And I mean, I suppose yeah, the extension of that point is if 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 anyone deserves the chance. To turn around, or I think what's really true now, it's not it's not about turning this round. It's actually about building a new team again, 
while maybe keeping some of the players on this team. It goes back to like the classic Ferguson line, which I think remains one of those comments that is just eternally relevant in football, which is the most you can have with any any successful team is a three or four year cycle. That's what Liverpool are at. And if that's the case, Klopp really does deserve the chance to build again. In fact, you know, as we've seen at some other clubs, like say Spurs or whatever, they could regret if a manager of his calibre went so early and the building job under anyone else could actually be maybe not as a bit more attritional say than what would be capable under this you know historical genius that they've got mm. it was a lively day Sunday in more ways than one wasn't it with the Manchester derby as well United have got City's number haven't they feels like that yeah for, for especially I mean I was at that exact fixture last year which is 2-1 in December 2019 but almost played out the same way Bar City scoring, although they should have had one towards the end here. And yeah, it's just, it, it, it's amazing, really. I mean, it, it was almost like a game where, I don't want to say going through the motions, I think United were really good and really snapped into City in a way we really don't see enough from them in a lot of in a lot of other games. Maybe more so City going through the motions. It was if they knew what to expect from United, but couldn't really force themselves around it. And I think the, it's why this game, it didn't actually tell us anything new about United. But it might tell us something a bit new about City in that it's a real warning for them ahead of the Champions League, which is, of course, what they really want. Maybe the danger against complacency after this run, whether they've peaked too soon. And also, I suppose, maybe maybe fosters that little bit of doubt where Guardiola makes some of the more surprising decisions that, he's, that we have seen from him in the Champions League. Do you think that frailty... Well, we, well we're talking about frailty. They, they, they've just won 21 games on the bounce. But do you think those characteristics could prove crucial in Europe, Aid. Well, it's going to be really interesting. I, I completely agree with what, what Miguel was saying there. It, it, what it gives is Manchester City's prospective opponents in the Champions League, beyond Mönchengladbach, it gives them a blueprint to follow, doesn't it? And obviously that blueprint has been there before with 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 United in the past, but, but United replicated the model of being hostile and aggressive inside the opposition half, which again, I agree, agree. And why don't we see that from them more often? It's, it's amazing because they're really, really good at it. It shows a vulnerability to, to this city team. You can, you can steal the ball off them in, in good areas. You can force mistakes, which we hadn't seen for, for months, had we? So, so yeah, it will, it will give city's Champions League rivals hopes. It will plant seeds of doubt in, in Guardiola's squad. I still think they are better equipped City to to land the Champions League this season than 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 in in past campaigns, but but yeah, they will live or die on how they defend, in my view. City City, even though they they, they drew a blank against United, I, I still believe in them as an attacking force. It's incredible. Ahead of that game, by the way, on that fifteen match winning streak, they used twelve different front fives. Completely different. 12 unique front five con- configurations during that 15-match winning streak. It's just, it is sensational. And it and that kind of flexibility gives them gives them a huge edge on, on their rivals because no one can go into a game against City knowing what the team's going to be. You, you can't. You can't second-guess it. And, and, and if you're an opposition manager, that definitely puts you on, puts you on the back foot to some degree. In many ways, it was a typical... Manchester United performance, wasn't it, Migs? They pull out those type of performances when they need them most, when people are beginning to doubt yet again. 
Oh yeah, it's it's it's, it's so unpredictable now. In fact, to the point, it's almost now. <laughs> There's just nothing surprising about. It. I mean, Sam Wallace did an absolutely excellent column in the uh, in the Sunday Telegraph yesterday about this specific issue. But he also pointed to kind of one of the issues with United in that trying to point out what sort of team they are, where they have more possession in the games you'd expect. But in the games when they're up against kind of, I suppose, contemporaries or rivals, they always drop in possession. And, you know, on one level, that could be seen as a valuable adaptability, but it doesn't quite feel like that. It still feels like they're trying to work out what they are. Sam referred to it as just kind of the most insidious form of failure. And I have to say, I know I know this sounds like... <laughs> You know, the supporters might think of being unnecessarily negative after a derby win. But I think this is one of the major problems at United in that it feels like under Solskjaer and right now what they're doing, they're never going to be bad enough to encounter real problems. They're always going to just level out. Solskjaer does have qualities, which means that they're always going to get that one when they most need it, all the players like them, all the rest of it. But the flip side is they're ne- they're never going to be good enough to be what Manchester United should be which at the moment is probably one of the few clubs in the world with the resources to really compete with City. And it's it, it does feel, I mean, like, yeah, and Ed Woodward vaguely went on about kind of progress the other day without really articulating what that was. And it does feel like they have the potential to be in this, this long-term purgatory where they're just always hovering around top four, the suggestion of bigger challenges, but never really following it through. Yeah, I was interested in a piece that you did, Migs, around, you know, the, the fatigue levels in the modern game, or certainly this season. And I think it was four United players before the derby this was and had more than 3,100 minutes playing time. Now, when you look at someone like Marcus Rashford, who's been an ever-present, he's considering shoulder surgery after the Euros. Is there a burnout factor potentially down the road for them? Oh, yeah, completely. I think it's possible we're already seeing it. Even Bruno, despite his penalty uh, yesterday, it was still a penalty. And in open play, I don't think he's been as perceptive or as devastating. In fact, I think we're seeing a lot more of passes he seems to play straight to the opposition. Uh, he's another player with over 3,000 minutes. And when you look at, I mean, I was, what struck me about that was just looking at kind of the freshness of Chelsea during the Liverpool game. And I actually look, look at those stats at half time. But if you look at, say, United's fourth most used player or fifth most used player compared to, say, Chelsea, there's a difference of a 1,000 minutes. That's 11 matches. That's actually a huge amount. Like that, that, I mean, that, that could have real tangible influence in this season. And I do remember thinking when, when Chelsea went on that, on that kind of spree in the summer that the size of their squad could be really relevant or crucial given the nature of the schedule. Now, I suppose that passed a little bit because of the whole kind of what happened under Lampard, the change. But now I do think... Tuchel could really see the benefit and despite that result yesterday and because I'd be a little bit worried for the, the fatigue in our encounter I think Chelsea are actually best bet for second and to be fair whatever about the pandemic because you'd cut Solskjaer a little bit of slack in that regard burnout has been an issue with him as well to be fair like in like in 2018-19 when he first came in when he had, they had that initial burst and then he, he overused some of those players then by kind of April-May they were spent it happened a little bit last season so it's going to be. It could be. It could end up being the crucial issue with United season. As a former player, Aid, can you look back at your career and just look at the fact that okay, there must have been seasons where you played almost too much, 
What does it feel like, that sort of fatigue and tiredness? <laughs> well, uh, probably probably asking the wrong guy. I probably spent 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 too many seasons on the subs bench, mate. <laughs> you know, in and out of the team. But I'd say I'd take your point. Uh, like uh, footballers footballers hate not playing. They hate not playing. It drives them around the twist. If they miss one match, it you know, it's difficult for them. Certainly don't want to have an extended period out, out of the team. I think the what I can relate to is, is as I got older, the recovery time, it, it changed dramatically. Uh, I could have played the next day when I was in my teens and early 20s, but then I got to my late 20s, early 30s, and, and I found it difficult to, you know, even train properly on a Monday. It, 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 is, it, it, it takes its toll on your body. So uh, this season must be absolute agony for some players who will be carrying on with niggles and aches and pains that we don't see. And, and, and I think that's a little bit unfair on them. And I do think it's impacted on the quality, the goals per game ratio. I think, I think Opta Duncan Alexander from Opta tweeted it out yesterday. It has dropped off markedly in, in February and March and, and it's ba- it is bound to have an impact. And the other factor is, is mental fatigue. It's definitely a thing, high pressure. I think when crowds are there, it's it's more mentally taxing because of the adrenaline rush that you get and then the come down and then having to do it again. That 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 is sort of dissipated at the moment. But but the pressure these guys are under to continually go out and deliver, you know, A star performances does take it out of you. And um and that's what separates you know the great players from from the rest and 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 that's why you know Mbappe and Haaland we'll really see what they're made of when 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 they're sort of playing in more competitive leagues playing for the biggest clubs I think I think that is that is a real challenge for them mentally because mm, the games keep coming don't they Megs you know Manchester United have got AC Milan next you know Milan are being eclipsed by Inter in Serie A but that's the tile around in the Europe, Europa League isn't it oh yeah totally um yeah, and an interesting kind of... I mean, what Milan have tried to do through their new ownership, well, relatively new at this point, of which there are there should be similar questions asked as, as regards Elliot, you know, Milan, as rare of, of the Glazers, given the, you know, the, so, so, the way some of their business practices have been criticised by, by people like Gordon Brown over the past few years. But I suppose in relation to that, what they've done is they've they've tried to essentially game Italian football in the sense of buying young, which is almost the complete opposite of Inter, but Inter have Antonio Conte. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a fair few di- di- dynamics to this. And it's, it, it's connected to the kind of, um, that what we've just, just been talking about as regards Solskjaer and progress and what needs to happen next. It is getting to the point where he probably needs to win a trophy. And the Europa League feels maybe the most, it, it would have the most significance this season. I know they they won it four years ago to complete the set under Mourinho for all that meant in the long run. But if, if Solskjaer is to go on and do more at United, he needs that landmark. And this is among the kind of the biggest tests they're going to get in the season. Although there is that, that slight sense of Milan beginning to fade away now and that they've had their burst for this campaign. Yeah. What about Arsenal, Aid? Do you agree with Mikel Arteta that they'll be disadvantaged in next weekend's North London derby because of that trip to Athens for Olympiakos three days beforehand? 
How can Arsenal not be at a major disadvantage for the North London derby when they have to go to Athens on the same night that Tottenham get to stay at home? Now, they've both been drawn at home in the first leg. I'm not aware of any COVID-related reasons why, why the games can't be played in London on the same night together. There's no crowds. I get it. You know, not two games in North London, if they're full stadiums, I get that. But they're empty. And... Neither neither stadium or match will impact the other. Tottenham have had a huge result here, no no question about that, and 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 Arsenal have grounds for grounds for complaint. But it but it is what it is. You have to get on with it, and and Arsenal need to need to knuckle down and and and, and bounce back from a really really frustrating afternoon at, at Burnley, where really they they should have won at a canter, and and again they'll be they'll feel very hard done by. In terms of what happened with the officiating. But what about Spurs? You know, the way I look at it, they played their last, the, the return leg in the last round on a Wednesday. You could have done the same thing this time. Spurs play Wednesday, Arsenal play Thursday. Okay, there's a 24-hour difference, but Arsenal wouldn't have had that four-and-a-half-hour plane journey in their legs. With Spurs, Megs, I think they've played the most games this season. I think it's 44, most in actually the, the, the top five leagues across Europe. It's no wonder that their pressing style can be haphazard, is it? No, completely. And uh, I mean, in that regard, Mourinho's actually probably made better use of his squad in terms of overall minutes than Solskjaer has so far, given they, they don't have United's numbers. But... Again, that's going to be one of these kind of issues that decides the season. And see, we go, but that's also where Gareth Bale could be so crucial. Given to be given, oh, because over the last two months, I don't think anyone really expected him to have the impact. You know, because it was one of the great hopes when Spurs first signed him that we, you know, we'd see that that explosion from Bale again. Then it didn't really happen. I think everyone kind of given up hopes a little bit. So this has almost been, you know, a pleasant surprise. For everyone around Spurs, or more than pleasant, really, given what Bale symbolises, but also for Mourinho. And I do wonder whether just that energy that Bale injects, and also given the effect it's had on Kane, I mean, there's already a lot of memes about how, you know, Kane turning from, from Sun to Bale now. <laughs> but whether just, just, just that injection of what Bale has could maybe just sustain them that bit longer and offer them the kind of something different for the end of the season that does prove crucial. But maybe in going for one trophy, I suppose probably the Europa League, maybe given given City's former, although that is a one-off game, and this this fight for top four, where suddenly Spurs' outlook has completely changed in the in the last week. So yeah, I, I think it's it's so crucial in that regard. Yeah. So when you look at momentum aid, it's working against Liverpool, but actually in Tottenham's case, it's it's working in their favour. Do you feel? that Mourinho's hand has almost been forced by circumstance here. Gareth Bale is excelling. And do you feel that Deli Alley has actually been rehabilitated? Don't know. Yeah, it's probably too too much of a stretch to say that he's been rehabilitated. I think that Jose needed him, needed him to to come come in and deliver something to to improve the team which was looking increasingly flat 
and and it's just coincided with Bale picking up his match fitness, Lucas Moura being used in a more central position, which I think suits him. So we saw, didn't we, the way he snapped around in midfield to, to, to win the ball for for those goals yesterday. So, so yeah, it's it's come together, hasn't it, for Jose Mourinho at a great time in the season. No doubt about that. It's just a, a matter of, of can they maintain it. It's, it's a little bit like City, whereby throughout the course of this season, at least one of City's star men has been off it, but the other guys have, have, have carried them. And I feel like Spurs are in that position at the moment. Son's a little bit off it, not not terrible, but it's just not the same level. And Bale has stepped in and Ali and Moore have come in and made cameos. And Dombele was making earlier on in the season when he was in that attacking position. So, yeah, it's fallen nicely for Jose Mourinho, but I still feel that they're get-attable at the back. I'm not, not at all convinced by them defensively. And I think if you can pressure Alderweireld and, and Davinson Sanchez, then you can you can force mistakes. So, yeah, they're, they're still a long way off from being a, a top-class team Spurs. But with Bale in this kind of form and Kane, they're dangerous and they can beat anybody. Okay, final question then. Uh, let's go back to where we began. You've both got an unlimited transfer budget. Who do you sign, Haaland or Mbappe? Uh, Migs. <laughs> Mbappe. I, I, I love him, I have to say. Yeah, Mbappe every time. Uh, not, again, not, not to discredit Alan because he's great to watch. So many qualities, but there's just something about Mbappe. In fact, <laughs> I can't believe it's already developing into this, but I almost see Mbappe in the way I see Messi and the whole uh, Messi-Ronaldo thing. Where there's something about the way he plays, which for me just puts him on a, a, a more elevated level. Uh, what do you think, Aid? Uh, absolutely, I prefer Mbappe as as the as the player because you get two players for one. You get you get a, a massive goals output, and you get magic and creativity and spark and, and and creation as well. But do you know what? I'm going to go for I'm going to go for Erling Haaland with an unlimited budget because goals are the most precious commodity in football. And, and I've seen enough from Erling Haaland, two-footed, powerful, quick, unbelievable temperament. He does the basics of centre-forward play amazingly well. And I just don't know whether defenders will be able to stop him for the next 10 years. I just think he's going to plunder goal after goal after goal for the next decade. So Erling Haaland, slightly younger, I think I think everybody, everybody, or anyone that can afford Erling Haaland this summer should try to sign him because he won't let them down. Yeah, I tend to agree. And even in a depressed market, Haaland is going to go for silly money in the summer. You know, I noticed Hansi Flick, the Bayern coach, wasn't ruling out an approach for him after the Classica this weekend. I think if you're looking for a brand name footballer more suited to edgy marketing and, and PR froth, you'd probably choose Mbappe. Haaland is more comfortable allowing his performances to speak for themselves. If I were City, I'd sign him rather than Messi. What do you think? Please let me know. In the meantime, thanks to Miguel and Adrian and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 